I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey guys, we are here today with for our Hollywood Life podcast with a very, very special guest, um, somebody who's been on the show before and who we love to have anytime and she's got big news. But before I introduce you to her, um, I will introduce my co-worker, Allie Stagnita. Hey Allie, how you doing? Oh, good. Just trying to stay warm here in New York City. But um, as Bonnie said, we have a really special guest today, someone I call a friend who I just love, even though we're on opposite coasts. And I wish she was here with me during this interview. But um, I'm I'm loving on her from afar. Um, and she has a book out today. And I'm just so happy for her. So Bonnie, I will let you introduce our super special guest. Yes. Okay. Well, you know, you guys all know her, you followed her journey, and now she has a book out uh, that tells you so much more about it. So everyone welcome Rachel Lindsay. Hi, Rachel. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. It's so it feels so weird to do this from a distance. Like we, you know, I, I consider myself a friend of the show. Yes. So I, every single time we're in person, we're having good, like, I feel like I always stay 30 minutes an hour after we're just yeah. talking, catching up. But um, I'm so happy to be here on your show. And thank you for having me so I can talk all things about the book. That have you and we're really proud of you. Today, um, you have just come out, it's your publishing day, with a book called Miss Me With That. And I have to tell you, I, I read it all over the weekend. I couldn't put it down. It was, yeah, like cover to cover. It was fascinating. I feel like I learned so much more about your journey. Tell us why you decided to write this book. Yeah, thank you so much for reading it. Um, I decided to write it, which... I have been approached to do a book right after The Bachelorette, and I'm so glad I didn't. And, and honestly, within, I just didn't feel like I had enough to say. I just didn't feel ready. And, I, and also, I was so attached to the franchise at that point that I felt like I needed to pull myself away from it to really understand how much my life had changed, how the show and this experience had impacted me. So in 2020, I was approached again and I really started to think about it in a different way because of everything that was happening in our country in 2020. I mean, the, the world changed, not just the country, the world. And so I thought, I really have a lot to say. More things have happened. I've been a lot more vocal since I left the franchise, since I stopped being under contract. And there's just things that I have been talking about for a long time that I wish would change that haven't. And I just felt like it was the perfect time to write it. And then also there was just this narrative that has continued to follow me since my finale of the show, that I was angry. I'm always upset about something. I'm complaining. I'm always 
on the defense. And I wanted people to understand that one, that's not true. Two, there are many sides to me. And I hope that you get that through reading the book, but that also you might understand why I'm always fighting for inclusivity and for change. How I grew up, how I struggled with my own identity growing up. And then I, until I came to be myself to where now it's like within me and I can't help it. So that all that really led to me, of course, what was happening in 2020, just like really made you reflect on your current state, but then also the past. So I just, with all that, I was like, now is the time I'm ready to do this book. And I'm so glad I waited for this moment. And I, it's a collection of essays. So it's not necessarily yeah. just like a chapter of your, like chapter, chapter, chapter of just like your life. It's kind of in different segments. And you had said, I saw in um, another interview that one of your favorite and, and maybe like most pivotal essays that you felt that you wrote was about mental health and the conversation of religion, you know, like praying it away versus mm -hmm. actually getting help. Can you tell us a little bit about that essay and how, you know, it stands within, you know, your life now? Yeah, so the, the essay is called, and, and to address the collection of essays, the reason I wanted to do that is because I wanted people, if they didn't want to read it cover to cover, I'm so glad you guys did though, mm -hmm. then they could pick an essay, they could jump to something batch or they could jump to the beginning of my life or even to career um, topics or whatever it may be that they wanted to, to go to, they could. And I feel like each essay stands alone. Mm. And then also when, but when you finish this book, you might want to go back to it and reflect on something that you related to, or that you want to share with someone else. That's how I envision the book. So the, the chapter that you're, or the essay you're referring to is called into sanity. And it's interesting because I am such a proponent for mental health and for therapy, whether it's by yourself, whether it's with a family member, whether it's through couples counseling, whatever it may be. And it's funny because my start to therapy was so different. You, you would think like something happened or I don't know, I attended a seminar or a conversation with a friend or whatever it may be, but I went to therapy to impress a man and to save a relationship. And I walked out of therapy saving myself hmm. and I, so that's why I'm just so passionate. I was that person, and I'm sure many people can relate to this. I was that person who was like, I don't need therapy. They're, like, I've got it all together. I'm doing everything I said I was going to do. Two seconds of sitting on that couch, she said, how are you? I burst into tears. She was like, why are you crying? I was like, I don't even know. And it unleashed, like, so I was 29, 30, 30 when I went to therapy for the first time. It, so it unleashed like 30 years of emotions. And so I just realized why I am the way that I am, why I feel unfulfilled, even though I said I was going to do every single thing that I wanted to do, why I felt like I was at a crossroads with my life, why I chose this relationship to stay in when I knew it was completely wrong. I started asking myself, like, who's life am I living? Am, am I doing this to impress and please people? Or am I doing this because I want to do it? So many things I started to question. I started to realize the way that I grew up. I started to realize how religion was a factor. Mm. And it's not that I was losing that foundation. I wasn't losing my morals and values. I wasn't losing my religion. I was just questioning things and challenging things in a way that I never had before. Mm -hmm. So therapy yeah. is everything. And even though I don't go as consistently as I used to, I constantly am like, I have to keep going back because it is such a release and a reset for me and it checks me and it humbles me and it brings me back to my center. 
Mm -hmm. I think that that your essays reveal you as so relatable because I think so many women um, grow up, you know, you have high achieving parents and you grew up as a high achiever and you were just, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be the you know, top in my school, I'm going to go to law school, I'm going to be a, like sports law, I'm going to get a great job, I'm going to have a perfect relationship, I'm going to have kids, like it's, yep. <laughs> you, I mean, you put so much on yourself, and you were working, like you were doing two jobs, even after the bachelorette, you're, right. you're still at the law firm, and you're commuting to see Brian, like, I don't, it's exhausting, Yes. But you were, I think so many people, women can relate to trying to meet all of those goals that you think you need to have. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because that, that goes back to the first question you asked me about why I decided to do the book. People know me as the bachelorette. That is not relatable. That's not real life. You <laughs> see us for 10 weeks live this fantasy world and we are the most sought after male or female in the nation, the most eligible bachelor or bachelorette, that's not reality. And then that coupled with the way I was billed as this attorney, um, a woman who knows what she wants, which was true, uh, the daughter of a federal judge. It was like I was put on this pedestal, like I was this perfect person. And I wanted people to know, yes, I came on the show and I knew who I, who I am and what it is that I wanted for myself, but it took years for me to get to that place. Right. And I wanted people to see in this book, me pull, uh, peel back those layers and see that I'm not much different from you. I have my ups and downs. I have my struggles, my insecurities. I question things. I'm lost at times. I'm looking for value in other people and other situations. And a lot of my 20s, if not all of them, were a hot mess. And so I tell those stories through each essay, mainly through relationships. But I felt like I needed to do that. You know, I knew my parents would have issues because I'm talking about things I never have before. And you they're said in the book. <laughs> yes, they're like, yeah, my mom just posted, got my copy. And I just gave her the emojis with like the big eyes, like, okay, here we go. I'm just have a lot of questions, but it was just so important for me to do that because I felt like it was bigger than me. Yes, I'm telling my story. Yes, you're getting to know me, but it might help you in a current situation. You might pass the book on to someone else who needs it, or maybe you're raising a child and maybe you're doing something similar to what I went through, or maybe the way you grew up and it can just help you see another side of things. And it's funny because, you know, now that I think about it, when you put it into those words is that you did when you came on television you were this person who had it all together which you don't see on television because that's not like messy and people aren't like making it into a meme and so it's so easy to be like oh yeah like she's perfect she has it all together well it took work and it takes time to even get to that point which is also why your relationship probably worked <laughs> You know, like say something to what you just said that made me think of, of something. You said that I was was built a certain way, almost perfection. Mm -hmm. And you hadn't seen that before because mm -hmm. that's not messy. That's not entertaining, right? right? And I know as a lover of reality TV, that's true, oh. which is why it's so interesting that I had to be all those things as the first black bachelorette. And I talk about this in this book. 
people had to understand, okay, why are we doing this now after 15 years? Oh, she makes sense. She comes from this family. She was raised this way. She has this career. She's done all these things where she checks all the boxes. So, okay, she's acceptable to be the first. Mm. Whereas you have other leads that have, you know, are not as independent, not as put together, not as self-aware that don't look like me. Mm -hmm. And so that's a stark contrast of the difference between myself and other leads that didn't look like me. The saying of you have to work twice as hard to have half as much just to get there and to be seen. And so I'm so happy that you said that because that is a discussion that I have in the book, things that I knew, but I didn't really grasp until I separated myself from the franchise and I really started to reflect on my experience. Yeah, and that they were priming you to be the lead from your audition before you even, they, you even knew- Before the bachelor, to be a bachelor contestant, they were priming you. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't realize it because the world is so unfamiliar to me. I was just like, oh, does this happen for everyone? And my handler's like, no, this has never happened. I still didn't get it. I was just like, oh, he missed my interview. He just wants to get to know me. It wasn't until I, they officially asked me that I, start, I started to think about it. And I was like, huh, they really were protecting me and trying to put me in a place where I wouldn't mess up so I could be the first. But, you know, your season, and I, I know, you know, you give such insight into what it was like to be the first Black Bachelorette, but as a, a viewer and relating to you as a woman, I really felt watching you you were the most relatable because you went in relating to the men and asking questions that are really serious about life. Like it wasn't just about kissing lots of guys or for a bachelor kissing lots of women, which so often you go, how can they choose somebody? Like they never talk about anything, but you did, you raised issues about life values and goals in your season that made it really, really interesting. And I think helped, I mean, I could understand why you found Brian, why you found love because of that. Thank you. Thank you. I, you're, you're right. Which is why most relationships don't work from right. the show. It's so easy. It, it doesn't matter if you're the smartest person or not the sharpest tool in the shed. It is so easy to get caught up in the fantasy. You are detached from anything that you know, and it's genius the way they set it up you're detached from anything you know in real life and you've created this new world for yourself this new reality with these new people there are these people controlling it you're living a certain way you're traveling you're falling in love you're talking about your emotions it's all of these things and so it's easy to fall in love everybody does it's easy to get caught up in whoever the lead is but I think for me coming in through therapy, through life experience, through broken relationships, I knew who I was, but also what I wanted, Mm -hmm. which is how other relationships didn't last in the end. They didn't know what they wanted from me. I knew exactly what I wanted. And if it was there, I was going to find it. I was going to ask the right questions. It's where the lawyer comes in. Right. Um, I was going to put people to the test. I was going to be, but I was also going to be vulnerable. So at the end of the day, had no regrets. I didn't want to lawyer them. I also wanted to break down my own walls and see if they could reciprocate the feelings that that I was giving them. Mm -hmm. You give also a lot of insight in the book into why it was so difficult as the first Black Bachelorette, like that they hadn't thought about 
I mean, there was nobody who looked like you who was behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how, and I think it's really important that you've brought that out. Um, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about that and then how you, if you know, if they've changed any of that. Yeah. So at the time, I was just pleased that they were asking me questions, you know, to give them credit. They were like, how do you want your hair done? Do you want someone else to do it? Are you comfortable with the makeup artist? Um, that kind of stuff. So I was like, okay, they realized that, you know, I'm not like the other ones. And so they're asking me for my insight. But as the show started, it became exhausting because like all the other bachelorettes, I'm trying to navigate this journey and I'm trying to find love. But now you're also asking me to educate you on the Black experience. And I was a consultant as well as being the bachelorette. I didn't see all of that until I pulled myself away from it. Mm -hmm. Or I had a moment where I'm breaking down on camera because I'm upset and I'm frustrated that you won't allow me to send someone home because there have to be a certain number of Black people. So you're asking me to keep certain people, even though I want to send them home. But it's but at the same time, I remember I was like lashing out because I was like, this is a casting issue. Right. I felt like I should have been involved with casting because I have people casting for a Black bachelorette that don't really know the Black experience. They don't get necessarily what I would be attracted to or what I was interested in. They're picking what they would be interested in, if that makes sense. And so I broke down, I was frustrated. I'm looking at the room for a face that gets what I'm saying, that understands how the pressure that I'm feeling. Because I even say on camera, you don't know what it's like to be me. You don't know what it's like to sit in the seat. And everyone's just staring at me all wide-eyed, kind of like they're, they feel sorry for me because I'm getting emotional, but they don't get me. And there was nobody to come into the room. And in typical bachelor fashion, they bring Chris Harrison in. And I'm looking at him like, what are you going to do? This isn't, I'm not your normal bachelorette. Like I need someone who I can relate to. So they, I didn't have that. I didn't have someone to stand up to me and say, hey, it's really triggering for you to ask a black woman to take a man on a, a black man on a date who has no interest in her just because you think it's fascinating and it's a storyline your audience has never seen. There was nobody to stand up for me in that. And I only have so much power as the lead. Now to answer the second part of your question, they have made those changes. They have a diversity consultant. So I would assume that the leads now have somebody that they can talk to that is trained to understand these type of situations. Now there's an executive producer that's a black woman, which I've been a proponent for. Some of the changes that need to be made are that you need to have people who are in the decision-making room, mm -hmm. people of color, exactly. women, that like all the people making decisions on my season were white males. Right. And I, so I'm sitting here like, you have no idea what it is to be me, what I'm going through, what my experience is, nor did you try to. It was just enough for you to have your first black Right. You know? Right. And so that I, I work that out a lot through the book or in a particular essay, because some of the things I, again, I didn't realize. So I took the rose colored glasses off till I really reflected on what it is that I was going through. And I have to say, you know, I don't think it was, there was any ill intention. It's more ignorance in how they handled me, which is the gift and the curse of being the first. Mm. It's an honor to be chosen. They picked you out of everyone, but at the same time, everyone's, you're an experiment. Everyone's watching you. They're going to get things wrong along the way. And I feel like they've done a little bit better 
with Tasha, with Matt James, not great. So there were definitely issues of Matt James this season and with Michelle. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, I was going to ask a little bit too about Matt, not necessarily about Matt, but you talked about Lee and how somebody like that essentially slipped, slipped through the cracks, maybe. And then look at Garrett in Becca's season, who seemingly slipped through the cracks as well. And then even Rachel. And now, you know, today there's um, the Real Housewives of Salt Lake woman who's rightfully fired because of her racist um, posts. Like, why does this keep happening? Why why is there no vetting process? Like, what are your thoughts on that? And, and how does it keep happening in this franchise? Yeah, it's a great question because the Redditors can find all this stuff. Yeah, they so sure they can. can. And they hire, the show hires someone to do a social media scrub. Right. So I don't know if they've changed firms. I don't know if they've hired more people, but they have people specifically dedicated to figure these things out. But what I think also has happened for my situation with Lee, I think they purposely put Lee on my season to have a storyline that they've never been able to have before because they've never had a lead of color. At the time, I did not think that because I didn't want to think that. When his tweets started coming out that were racially insensitive, I didn't want to think that the show knew before. I wanted to think it just, they just slipped through the cracks. Right. I remember when I was going through the system, it was, what are your social media handles? That was it. It wasn't, have you ever had any other name? Which is what happened with Lee. It was under a different name or he deleted it or something like that. But, uh, but people found it, you know, the Redditors found it. And so as I separated myself, I realized, no, they had, I, when I described my type, as you do on the show, they ask you who you're interested in. Nothing in what I said was Lee. And so I feel like they saw a guy who had never been in a diverse situation, had never lived with those men, had never dated a black woman. And he was from the South as well. And I think that they thought there would be something there. And there was, he antagonized the men in the house. He called them loud and aggressive. He was a totally different person with me. He couldn't have been more kind, but then those tweets came out and I realized they wanted this to happen. And it's a shame because how could you want that for your first black bachelorette? Hmm. How would you want there to be that type of storyline that took up the majority of the season, something that could have been so beautiful. But I didn't get that until I had really removed myself from the show because I really didn't want to believe it, even if I thought it could be true. Of course. I think, I think with the, I think with Garrett, that just slipped, he changed his name. I think that slipped through the cracks. And I think even with a Rachel, I think with a Rachel, they probably didn't recognize that that was insensitive. There are a lot of people who didn't, a lot of people who aren't from the South that aren't, that aren't familiar with the antebellum parties. So I think that they might've seen the picture and not thought anything of it, which is why it is so important to have someone who is educated on those matters behind the camera to prevent that kind of thing from happening. Mm -hmm. Cause like at this point, they can't really afford to make any more mistakes like this. They Mm got to get it together. Right. Absolutely. No, they really, they, they can't. And then, you know, even to have like a, a, a bachelorette, then Hannah later used the N word. Like it's just. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. You can't even. You can't I mean, make it up, Bonnie. No. You can't, you can't make it up. Of course, I address in the book as well. It's not an entire essay. But I obviously talk about that because it's interesting. When I when when Hannah came out with her book, even Extra interviewed her, and I wondered if she would address it, and she did. But she didn't talk about me being involved with her, which that's totally her right. It's her book. She doesn't have to put me in her story like at all. I wasn't expecting that. But I thought it was interesting because I remember thinking, I'm in the process of writing my book, and I'm absolutely going to talk about it. Because it's not that it was her using the word, because she and I are, are good. We've talked, she's apologized, um, you know, and the way that she apologized to me, I was like, okay, she really did take the time to understand. It wasn't this insincere apology at all. It was really heartfelt. But the problem was how a sector of Bachelor Nation responded to that incident when I put out a video simply saying, this is why this word hurts so bad. This is the history of this word. This is why it's so offensive. This is why people have such a strong reaction. The video wasn't about Hannah. It was taking the incident from her and explaining as a black person, I can explain to you like no one else why this word hurts so much and why people are upset that she used the word. And I took it as a time to educate. What did I get in return? People condemning me. How could you do that? Where's your grace? Where's the understanding? Where's the compassion? She's such a good hearted person. She didn't mean it. And I think one of the most powerful themes in the book when I'm talking about Bachelor Nation, specifically in an essay called A Nation of Double Standards, is that you constantly preach grace and compassion and understanding to me about other people and how I don't have it, but yet they can never find those things and apply them to me, ever. Mm -hmm. I must have done something to make that person say what they did in an interview. I must have, I didn't give that person enough time and understanding or realize that they're a good hearted person and they didn't mean it. You know, it's always somehow my fault at the end of the day. Yeah, I, all of that, yes. All of that, yes. <laughs> but also just, I, it, it really did stand out to me. And I had said to Bonnie before our interview, I was like, we have, I mean, because Hannah had a full chapter in her book about this incident and she did, she seemed so sincere and so disappointed in herself that she really took herself out for a, for a bit. And, you know, obviously it's good to see somebody accept responsibility take the time away, make the change, do the work. Like that's all you can necessarily ask for. And I am so, I hate cancel culture. And I think that like your approach, Rachel, to situations like this are, is truly what everyone should be doing. Let me help you educate versus you're done and like see ya because then we end up nowhere. And so battling it out with this, 
you know, the followers of this franchise, just every time it's like hitting your head against a wall. Yeah. Well, I feel though that with your book, you, I mean, anyone who takes the time to read it, I just think that they will learn so much and gain so much insight. And I think it's really important that you've done the book and, and very brave that you've done the book. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, it was tough. I got to tell y'all, this was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Finding the time, shout out to Sophia Quintero who helped me write this book. I'm trying to normalize ghostwriters because I don't give the perception that I can do it all and I did everything. I absolutely was involved with this book in every single process. And, you know, I came in, of course, with an outline and how I wanted it to look. And, but I didn't have the time to sit and just do every single thing. And I'm so grateful for her for helping me out. And I think people, Again, I'm always very honest to a fault, but I need people to understand. I don't want to give the impression that I can do everything. No, I can do a lot because I have a lot of help. So shout out to Sophia. But um, in preparing for this book and being involved and writing it in the back and forth, it's hard, one, to find the time. It's hard to figure out what you want to say. It's hard not to tell someone else's story you, know, you want to be respectful. You're trying to tell your story, but you kind of have to talk about other people in the process. And then at the same time, it's hard to be so vulnerable. It's like, what do I want to share? People are so used to seeing me a certain way. Do I want to go there? I, it's, it's tough. Like as excited as I am today, I am equally terrified that I am once again, opening myself up for people to have their opinion about me for people to judge me, for people to misunderstand me. But I try not to get caught up in that part and looked at this as an opportunity for people to get to know me, I think in a much better way, to maybe understand certain things that I've gone through or what my response was to certain situations. And I hope that when people come to this, to read the pages of this book, they come or listen to it, they come with an open mind to really say, maybe I'm, I'm coming with a clean slate and getting to know Rachel for the first time. Cause I feel like you are when you read the book. Yeah, absolutely. Anything, sorry, Allie. As to say, was there anything that you were nervous about or hesitant to put in there that you, you know, I think that like we talked about before that we, you really felt that the producers and just, you know, life in general has like framed you in this certain way. And, and, was there anything that you were really nervous about and, and, and hesitant? Yeah. With my family, I was nervous for all the sex talk because mm-hmm. we never talk about sex Didn't grow up that way. I'm 36 and married. We still don't talk about it at all. <laughs> they are learning about my sex life for the first time ever about me losing my virginity. Like literally life. right now, probably. probably blocked me. She's <laughs> like, I need space for a couple of days. Um, <laughs> But that on, on the, the family side was, is the most nerve wracking part. Uh, but it was also so liberating to be able to be me and talk about things that I've been through and not blaming my parents, just for them to understand like, hey, this is what I was going through. And I just didn't feel like there was any place for me to turn. So I'm I, a little bit excited that they're going to get to see a different side of me. Um, on the other side, Bachelor Nation, I'm always a little nervous to talk about certain things about Bachelor Nation because, you know, my dad always says history has predictive value and history has shown me that 
no matter what I say, I'm going to be wrong. And so there's certain things that I reveal in the book that I haven't for the first time. And I'm totally ready for the backlash. I'm totally ready for the move on. Why are you saying this? Why are you still talking about it? And it's like, guys, I wrote a book. I am telling my life story to this point. That involves The Bachelor. And here's the thing. The book is not a Bachelor tell-all. The book is a Rachel Lindsay tell-all. And so it's not where I'm like, and let me tell you what happened on this date and really about this person and about, no, every story has a purpose. There's a lesson behind it. There's a deeper meaning. You see me growing and understanding something from it. It's not to make you dislike a person or a show or anything. It's just all a part of my story. Did it feel really cathartic after you finished? Like what was kind of like the final like bookend where you like, do you feel like you're putting that chapter behind you, especially after, you know, everything with last year and between Chris and you were. Well, I am a perfectionist. So as soon as the book is done, I'm like, wait, we probably could have put this in. We probably could have put that. And I remember Andy Dorfman told me, you're never going to be fully satisfied with your book. You're always going to think, oh, if I tweak this or maybe I pulled this out and she's right, but I am pleased. I am happy. Um, there, I really wouldn't want to change anything. Of course I could add stuff, but I really wouldn't want to change anything. I put my heart and soul into the book. Um, there was something that you else you asked me though. With was that. it like cathartic? Like, were you did do you kind of feel like okay, I'm closing the chapter on yes. that part of my life? And yes, I feel like I'm on my farewell tour. Love it. You know, unless somebody wants to take the book and do something with it, that's a whole other thing. But as far as like me rehashing and talking the, about these stories, I'm kind of like, you guys, this is this is it. You know, I, people ask me about my relationship with vaccination. If I'll go back, you know, like I'm not even in that headspace. Yep. This is me telling my story in one place and I feel really good about it. And I don't think that I have to revisit it after this. It's like, buy my book. Yep. You know, that's my response to everything. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think it can definitely, I think it can definitely serve that purpose because it answers so much. But let's talk about love for a minute, because despite the challenges that you had, and they were many as the bachelorette, you did find love and you and Brian, you know, have forged, it appears a really strong relationship. And like a lot, um, and again, as role models, like you took, you didn't rush into a marriage. You took a couple of years before you married to really get to know each other you moved to Miami and now he's moved to LA. Like you've made a lot of compromises. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really been the key to our relationship is that we encourage each other. We support one another and we make sacrifices. You know, it hasn't been easy. We come off, we, we are these public personas. Everyone has an opinion about the decisions that we made, our relationship, we remove ourselves from the spotlight, but I continued working. Brian moved to Dallas for me. He made that decision for me so easy. He was like, I'll move there. You still have your job. I'll move there. I'll right. get license in Texas. Oh, and, and then the moment I stopped practicing, I said, okay, our purpose moving here was because I was practicing. I'm no longer practicing. Where do you want to be? It's your turn. He wanted to be in Miami. We picked up. We moved halfway across the country to Miami. Then when another opportunity came about in LA, we talked about it. I went first which again is interesting. 
a lot of people have so many opinions about your relationship and how you should be living it and what you should be doing and when you should be having children and all these other things. And it's so fun. We know our relationship. We know the decisions that we made. I did not move to LA and said, well, you'll figure it out. There was always an end date inside. I was going to get our house and, you know, life together in LA. So then when Brian moved there, it was completely seamless for him. I think that's been the success of our relationship too, is that we don't try to perform for the expectations that people place on us. We don't try to be something that we're not. We know who we are. We live that life. We don't answer to anyone and you can accept that or you don't. We don't post all the time on social media. We try to keep a lot of our life private according to, you know, certain people, you know, that have opinions, they think because we don't post, we're not happy. And it couldn't be more opposite. We just don't feel like we have to define our relationship by other people's standards or do things to please people because that's what they want. We're doing what we want. And I really think the more that a bachelor couple does that, the more success that they will have. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that, um, and as the years have gone on, you've, uh, you've been together for four or five years now. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's your relationship has grown even stronger. I mean, he, he has been very supportive of your career mm -hmm. and you of his. And so like, is that, it's interesting. you you do a podcast with Van Lathan called higher learning. And I sort of feel in talking with you, a lot of your book is about, and you're, what you're telling your story is about higher learning in a relationship and in the life challenges you've had. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's, I don't know if I really address this in the book, but the relationships that I'm talking about in those essays, there's a theme and I don't know if I say it outright, but I constantly was in relationships where men did not lift me up right. and they tried to dim my light because they wanted to make themselves feel bigger, hmm. whether they didn't have the career that they wanted to or the money that they wanted to at the time. They just weren't in the place in their life where they wanted to be. And I, even though I didn't feel fulfilled, was doing everything I was supposed to. Law school, uh, became an attorney, passed the bar, at a good firm. Like I was still moving up the ladder where they necessarily weren't. I didn't necessarily do anything to make them feel a certain way. I was always supportive but they would try to bring me down to build themselves up. I've never had a relationship like I did with Brian, even before we got married, where he constantly is encouraging me. It doesn't matter what's going good or bad in his life. He is like, I'm so proud of you. I'm so supportive of, of you. I just, he catches me off guard. Sometimes it still yeah. makes me uncomfortable to this day because I'm so not used to it. Where he's like, man, I was listening to you say this or, you're just amazing. And I'm like, just Aww. taken aback by it. And, and that has been something that is in a relationship where I don't intimidate him. I don't make him feel any kind of way. He is just so proud to call me his wife and to be supportive. And of course, I am so proud to do the same for him. And so it's really refreshing to have someone. I was, I was talking to Caitlin Bristow, mm -hmm. who dates a uh, or dates engaged now at this point to Jason Tardic. 
And we were both like talking about that. We were like, girl, isn't it so good to have someone who's got their own and is comfortable in who they are and doesn't feel like they have to tear you down just to feel better. And it's sad that that's so common in relationships, but both of us have found people in this bachelor world that are capable of, you know, treating you the way that, that you should be treated. Yeah. Like a secure man. I like say that to my boyfriend all the time. He's like that. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, it's just like, you're so much better than me. And he's like, it's not a competition. I'm like, no, like you're a better person. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah so good. <laughs> like you're so good. And like, it's true. That's like exactly what you want around you. Even when you don't realize, like you never even realize that that's possible until mm-hmm. you have it and that yep. it exists. Yep. Um, I love that he does that for you. Thank you. Same with yours. <laughs> well, miss me with that is a is um you know a, a fan, is a huge accomplishment, and I think everyone should read it. And just I mean seriously, they should read it. Um, all of our listeners and viewers. Um, do you want to just tell us what that like? You there's a specific reason you chose this title. Miss- yes. Yes, I, you know, I thought it was more common at the time I was choosing it because I say it a lot. I thought it was more common, but I do get the question like, what, you know, what does it mean? Like in my comments, like I'm embarrassed to ask this question, but what does that mean? So I'm glad you're asking. It's a phrase, like I said, I use a lot on my podcast. And so I picked that title because I wanted it to be more conversational. I wanted you to realize that you're going to get a more casual not professional uptight version of me because I'm very, I'm much more loose on my podcast. And I wanted you to feel like when you're reading the book, you're, you're hearing me. So like I'm talking to you and we're having this conversation, but I also thought the, the phrase is great because I can play off of it because constantly throughout the book, I'm telling you all the things you can miss me with. So the more, the, the, the whole phrase is miss me with that BS. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. And so I'm telling you all the things that are BS that you can miss me with. And that's a theme throughout the book. And so I thought that would be a fun play on words. And then you also realize, oh, we're getting a lighthearted version of Rachel. But we also know she's not going to shy away from giving us her opinion and giving us the sassy side of her. Love it. Yes, love Love it. it. So it is out today, January 25th. You can get it. And is the audiobook out as well? You did your audiobook. You recorded yes. it yourself. Yes, the audiobook is out, which again is something that I was not expecting. I, four days, 
eight hour plus days. But it was important for me to do that because so many people hear me and I just didn't want somebody else to tell my story. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do it. And it brought out so many emotions in me. And I feel like a lot of people will get the audio book because they want to hear it that way. So I'm I'm happy that I, that I did that, but that was tough. That was tedious. Yeah. That that must have been, I saw you on your Instagram doing it. I was like, whoa, that is hard, but you're right because, you know, no one says, no one tells your story in every way more beautifully than you do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yay. Well, I can't wait to listen and I'm sure our listeners can't wait as well. Um, So Rachel, thank you so much as always for joining us today. We love you and we hope you come back soon. Yes. I always do. Just have me back. You know the drill. We will. Yes. We want to keep up with your life. Thank you guys so much. The best to Brian too. Congratulations. Thank you. You Let's be safe. Okay. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.